word, I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews, if you would, for the word of the Lord this morning. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. Our text is found there. We're continuing this series, a, a journey through the book of Hebrews on these many Sunday mornings, Lord willing. Being reminded in every application that the Lord wants to give us of the truth of Hebrews, then that is that Jesus is better and we should never settle for anything less than him. Jesus is better. Now, as you're turning there, it's page 1001 if you're using the Bible provided for you. Let me encourage you, please, to uh, make every effort to come to our family gatherings. Uh, we have communion this morning. We regularly observe this on the last Sunday of every month. And now we have started a, a new rhythm over the last many months of having a Sunday uh, evening gathering for uh, our family here and it's again not just a members gathering but all who are part of our family and it's a time for worship and a way where we can share more inspirationally about some things that are happening and give celebration and then also information but it is a time of worship and we've moved those to five o'clock so you'll know that we did that after talking with folks that that would make the evening a little uh, earlier to get home. We have some time for a good meeting and fellowship and food in the gym afterwards, but by uh, shortly after 6, people can be able to be on their way, so we made that change. But I especially want to encourage you to come tonight. Uh, we have been talking about this 2020 vision. We shared some things about that in the late summer, early fall, and then to our stewardship emphasis and our generosity. And God bless again for the church family's response. But uh, it was uh, fairly broad as what we were communicating. And now tonight we'd like as pastors to share a little more information about that or what is involved in this 2020 vision, this strate strategic ministry focus for the next few years in, in three areas having to do with our congregation and how we carry out ministry, how we worship and fellowship and association together. There's some things there. Then there's some things having to do with vision for our Cedar Brook, as we call it, our community around us. We just call it Cedar Bluff, Middle Brook, Cedar Brook. How we can, in more effective ways, carry out our ministry of God's love and word and deed to our community, some unique outreach we feel like God is leading us to. And then also there's a part about our campus which has to do with uh, asking God to direct us regarding what might be needs uh, we will have for facility uh, in regard to the church that we are as we fellowship and worship and serve together, but also the church that we are to this community. So we have some things that we'd like to share about that. Still a somewhat high level, but just going forward as the Lord gives wisdom and confirms that, and I think you'll be quite excited tonight. And so uh, if you... Unless you're providentially hindered, I encourage you to come at 5 o'clock. Providentially hindered doesn't mean television to me, all right? If, you, if your television is hindering you, I could pray an imprecatory psalm upon that, okay, for you. And Aren't you impressed that I know the word imprecatory about that? But uh, please, don't let anything keep you from being here at 5, if you possibly can. Our text this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 2, and so if you're able, uh, please ask you to stand and let us read God's word together, and then ask him to open his word to our hearts. 
Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message delivered by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution... How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at the first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will." The Word of God. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, seated on your throne, we come to adore you. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, O Lord. The whole earth is full of your glory. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who is risen and reigns. Worthy are you, Lord Jesus. O Lord, help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to worship. Draw us close. Open our ears. Bring life to our dead hearts. Lord, I pray that you will do great things by the power of your Spirit. And as we approach communion, may it truly be communion. Lord, we pray as we always do for those who serve from us. We pray this morning for... Dave and Kathy Johnson and their ministry on mission in Camp Tapawingo. Pray you'll meet their every need. We pray as we do for those other churches in our community, faithfully sharing your word and lifting up Jesus. There are so many. Today we thank you for Parkway Baptist and pray blessings on them. Bless the pastor, Lindy Apon. Encourage his heart. And then, Lord, we pray for... Another church this morning here on Middlebrook with us. We lift up Fellowship Church. Thank you for these partners in the kingdom. And Lord, on this day as they have a celebration and an in-gathering of giving for a great new ministry project, I pray the outpouring of your generosity upon them. I pray blessings on them. Bless my dear friend Rick Dunn as he is lead pastor. Do great things. Now, Lord... In your presence, we ask for your help. I ask, Lord, for your help. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O oh, Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I don't know <clears throat> if you've ever had the experience. I'm sure you have especially if you are involved in any kind of 
teaching, regular communication in your area of endeavor, where someone says that you said something and you know you said no such thing <laughs> that ever happened. That's happened to me. And I, I've heard about it this week. Someone took my name in vain. Can you believe that? And, and, and it ended up being something between a husband and wife. And I was brought into it. The husband got up a little grouchy or woke up and said, hey, make us some coffee. And I said, well, you make the coffee. He said, no, you make the coffee. She said, you make it. He said, why should I make the coffee? She said, because Pastor Sam said so. I've been to church. When did Pastor Sam say so? And she said, don't you hear him preaching about Hebrews? Okay. <laughs> See? Yeah. I got you where I want you right now. <laughs> now, you groan about that, and some of you will be telling it. That'll go out. That'll go out like a gospel witness all over this community. Wait and see. <laughs> Of course, that didn't happen, and I'm being very facetious with that, okay? Uh, But it is something I use, and I'm using it because Hebrews is about making sure we are listening, not just hearing. You know, there is a difference in hearing and listening, and anyone who's ever had children, grandchildren, or been involved in working with children, there's a difference between hearing and listening. Some wives are saying, oh, every wife knows that, or about her husband. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. That means sometimes the husband's thinking, are you still talking? Uh-huh, uh-huh, that's not, not nice. But you can hear, that just means sound waves are bouncing off the, your eardrum. That, that's That's hearing, but listening means your mind's engaged. You're evaluating, you're thinking, you're analyzing, you're applying. And that is what the author of Hebrews is challenging us about. The the key word here that we just read, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. The key word here is about hearing. Therefore, we must pay attention, pay closer attention. This would mean to us today, listen up. Pay close attention, closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. We don't stay engaged with what we have heard. Now, notice this begins with the word therefore. And of course it is a cliché, But it helps us to remember whenever you're reading the scriptures and you come to the word therefore, in your mind, stop, think. What is this therefore? Why is it therefore? It's it's a word that means capture this. What was just said, don't let it get away from you. Capture it, think about it, and apply it to your life. And in this context... It is taking us back to what was said in the first verse of the letter itself. Chapter 1, verse 1. 
chapter 2, verse 1, is gripping our attention about what was said in chapter 1, verse 1. And what is that? That there is a God who speaks. There is a God who speaks. It's like the, the writer is reaching after he said some things about this God, and now he's saying, do you get this? The God, the true God, the only God, is a God who speaks. And he speaks to individuals. He speaks to you. He's the God who speaks. Now, we've spent a couple of weeks, as we've looked at chapter 1, where the writer of Hebrews is saying God speaks because God, by his nature, reveals himself. God could be completely God and was completely God for all the eons of time, and he didn't speak. He didn't have to speak. But God, by His nature, is a speaking God, and so God is, is he's not trying to play hide-and-seek. He he's not a God who's silent. He's not a God who, by His very nature, doesn't want you to know Him. Isn't that exciting? That by His very nature, God wants to share Himself, reveal Himself to people like you and me. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does it through general revelation. First of all, he speaks through creation. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, all that's created matter, it is shouting his glory. God speaks as he speaks through the heavens and the earth, right? He speaks through our conscience. Paul says, and other writers, Every person is created in the image of God. What does that mean? That means that every human being has a, an ability at a level to have an awareness of God. Now, because of the sin that has so ruined us, we need salvation to bring that back to a fuller and ultimately fullest experience but every person has a conscience, and it's at the conscience where God interacts with people. That's the reason to go against your conscience is a very dangerous and deadly thing because you are suppressing the voice of God. The conscience is the voice of God. And to suppress it is to do damage to your own relationship with Him and your own ability to hear His voice. Then the Lord is speaking God through special revelation. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. What is special revelation? Where it's, well, God has, in a very specific, clear way, made his voice known. He did that through inspiration. He, he spoke through the prophets. Do you see that? Long ago, many times, by, to the fathers, he spoke by the prophets. God, by his Holy Spirit, came upon men and women so that when they spoke, they spoke his truth. So what they communicated was the authoritative word of God, and they could say, thus says the Lord. And then God captured that message, had it written in our scriptures, so that we have the special revelation of God, His message conveyed through human personality, captured in living words. 
That's special revelation. But God has a highest form of revelation. He's revealed Himself in creation. He has spoken through our conscience. He has spoken through in inspiration. But His greatest way of communicating ever was through the incarnation of His Son, Jesus Christ. In these last days, He has spoken in the idea, once and for all, God has spoken to us by a Son. Not by a prophet, not by a star, not by the multitude of creation, not by angels, but God has spoken Himself by His eternal Son. I think God wants to be heard, don't you? He's pretty serious about it. So the God who speaks, here's what we're learning, is the God who speaks in Christ. He speaks in His Son. His Son is the messenger. We saw that last week. He's the messenger Son. God has spoken to us in His Son. He's the majestic Son. Verse 2 and 3 says he's the owner of all things. He's the heir. He is the creator of all things. He is the one who created, the son created. He is also the one who is the revealer of God. Through God, we see the, in Jesus the exact imprint of his nature. He's the radiance of the glory of God. You see God in Christ. And he is the mediator son and the missionary son. He came to give himself as a sacrifice. He made purification for sins. Do you see that? He was the sacrifice and he was the priest. He offered himself as the sacrifice. He crawled up on the altar of the cross and the priest himself, Jesus, became the sacrifice. And then... Behold our God, risen from the dead, and He did what no priest has ever done. He sat down because His work was finished. And He sits on the throne of heaven now as prophet who speaks for God, as priest who speaks on our behalf to God, and as our King who speaks over us as God. You know, Jesus is better. There's no one like him. And now here is the point. The author is writing to people who under great persecution, who thought when they became a Christian, everything would get better and things have gotten worse. Who because they followed Christ, they've lost their family, they've lost their job, some of them. They've been put in jail. Some of their friends have been martyred. They can't go to the synagogue anymore. If they're recognized in the temple, they're chased out. They, they are considered people who have betrayed the faith of their ancestors and of the God they so love and the patriarchs they so honor. It's just so hard. It's so hard. And it would be easier to go back. Be easier to go back to the way things were. And that's where the first of the five warnings comes into the book of Hebrews. There's all this wonderful truth, but there's five warnings. And here's the first one. 
the writer says, you cannot even think about doing that. You cannot go back. Because there's no one like Him. Everything that went before was in preparation for Him. There's no one like Him. You can't turn back. You'll be turning your back on the Son. You'll be turning your back on the One who is everything. He's the God who speaks. He speaks in Christ. Now, I want to share something with you just here as a pause. And the reason I want to share it, here's what I'm about to share with you. I'm about to share with you the conclusion of my last two messages that I didn't get to. And it's your fault because you didn't listen quickly enough, all right? And so I decided I'm not going to put the conclusion at the conclusion again because I won't get there. So this is my introclusion, okay? This is... This is where I want you to stop. Here's a sila moment. Stop, think, meditate. Here's the question. If he is the God who speaks, and he speaks to individuals, then let's think about the God who speaks and you. These questions. Number one, do you believe God speaks? Do you really believe that? Not do you, well... Technically, yes. Perhaps he could. I can intellectually assent to that. No. Do you really believe God speaks? Because that changes everything. Then secondly, listen carefully, do you expect God to speak? Oh my! It's one thing to believe that there is a God capable of speaking, but to believe He is a God you expect to speak to you, now this is something. This changes everything. You don't ever go to church the same if you believe and expect God to speak. You don't ever read your Bible the same. You never read a devotional book the same. You really never have a conversation the same or even look the world the same. Literally, the windshield of your life becomes radically different when you believe and expect God to speak. Really. But now here's the question to the heart of it all. And this goes to the place, honestly... Maybe only we go there, but we need to go there and find out the answer. And you know what? Our heart is so tricky. We say, Lord, help me to know what the true answer to this question is. And here's the question. Do you want God to speak? Do you want God to speak? I shared in the first service, several years ago there was a young woman that had come to faith. She was in her 20s and uh, had the privilege of baptizing her here. But she had been connected to various different places on her spiritual journey in terms of worship and her father, though, and I had become friends. And she had decided that she wanted to marry a guy. And her father was really talking to her about it. And uh, finally she said, well, Dad, listen. Listen. I've been to 13 pastors about this. 
13, Dad. I've gotten counsel on this. And, and he said, well, have you talked to Pastor Sam about it? She said, no. Why haven't you talked to him? Because I know what he would say. That's why. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to do this by saying that, but here's the issue. It's not about what Pastor Sam would say. Hear me. It doesn't matter what I say. My, my thoughts, my words have no authority, but if they convey what God says, that's the authority. Her, her issue was not that she really didn't want to hear what Pastor Sam had to say. She didn't want to hear what Pastor Sam might say that God has to say. Now, folks, we just have to get real. You see, because this gets down to where we really are and our understanding of God. Do I think God's voice is a kind voice? Do I think God's intentions for me are really good? Do I honestly believe that God would choose for me what I would choose for myself if I had the wisdom to choose it? Because that's what God will do. God will choose for you what you would choose for yourself if you had the wisdom to choose it. He's that good. But our flesh and our, our selfishness and the world and the enemy of our souls, that lying devil, so wants us to doubt the goodness of God. We're right back in the Garden of Eden. God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you'll be like him. Always holding out on you. Oh, friends, listen. Do you want God to speak? And wouldn't it be a great service at communion just to go through those questions? Lord, I'm at your table. I'm about to take these or this ordinance. Do I really believe you speak? Do I really expect you to speak? And oh, Lord, show me. Do I really want you to speak? And Lord, this is just as far as I can get this morning. I don't really want you to, but I'm asking you to even help me to want you to speak. God will meet you there. Now, this is the issue. The issue is drifting from the word. That's what our, our text is t saying. This is what God's word is saying. Be careful of drifting from the word. Why? Listen carefully, because in drifting from the word, you're drifting from Jesus. This is what the writer wants us to understand. Drifting from the word of God is drifting from the one who has spoken. The word of God, Jesus. So if I'm drifting from the word, I'm drifting from Jesus. And Jesus is the only one. He's the one and only. I don't want to drift from him. Here's an insert quote that I've prepared for the young adults here the, in their folders. Here's the key. If we do not listen to Jesus and walk in obedience to his word, we will drift away to personal disaster. That's the warning. That, that's the warning. 
If we do not listen to Jesus, it doesn't say if you don't listen to mom and dad or if you don't listen to your boss or your husband, if you don't listen to whatever other authority, which is God-ordained authority, if we do not listen to Jesus and walk in obedience to His Word, we will drift away to personal disaster. Now He gives, notice here, a historical example of how this happens, and then He gives a personal challenge about it. Here's a historical example of how people drifted away from God's message in the law. The people drifted away under the old covenant from God's message in the law. And he says it this way, verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution. Now let's stop there. What's the message? The message here is the law. The Old Testament in particular, the Mosaic law. Now notice this is interesting. It was delivered by angels. What has the writer just been talking about in in chapter 1 verse 4 down through chapter 1 verse 14? He's been talking about Jesus is greater than the angels. Why is he... Why is he having to tell these Jewish believers that Jesus is greater than the angels? Because they knew what we don't quite understand in our day, that in the Old Testament, God brought angels with him to Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy says he brought innumerable angels with him. They communicated truth to Moses. Moses captured that word of God, but it was mediated through angels. This is also shared by the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7. Stephen says to the religious leaders of the Jews, you did not hear and listen to the word given by angels, and you have now crucified the Lord of glory. Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 3. He says the law was brought by angels, But this new covenant has been brought by the Son. So do you see what the writer is doing here? He's giving a historic example from lesser to greater. Here's what he's saying. Be careful. If the Old Testament law, which was brought by angels to Moses, was so certified and so reliable that anybody who disobeyed God's law brought by angels received a retribution. How much more shall this gospel, this message of the new covenant, not brought by an angel, but one who is Lord of the angels, the Son, if you disobey this gospel, this new covenant message that is so far greater than the old There's nothing left. You can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. You can't go back after God has given you the ultimate, the penultimate communication in Jesus Himself. You have nothing to go back. And if you try, you will lose your soul. You will be destroyed. That's the warning, folks. That's the warning. Don't drift away from the Word. 
He says, don't drift. This is an interesting drift. Drift. Most people don't charge ahead straight into destruction. They drift into it. By drifting from the word. I've never met anybody who gets up one morning and says, I think I'll be unfaithful to my wife. I think I'll go to work today and have an affair. Nobody gets up and says, you know, I'm just going to break mom and dad's heart today. Nobody gets up and says, I think I'm going to destroy my life on drugs. No. What happens? You drift to destruction. You drift. And it's too late. The current, the pull, it's too late. It's a drifting. And so, with that historical example, look, at, if you would, at verse 3. Then he gives a personal exhortation. It's a personal exhortation about not drifting from the gospel. How, how do you keep this from happening? Don't drift from the gospel message of Jesus. Don't drift away. Now, notice what he calls this. He calls it the most awesome triumph that you can have. Don't drift away from the awesome triumph of such a great salvation. Do you see that in verse 3? Take the positive out of the challenge. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Salvation. What does the word salvation mean? Do you know what it means? It means deliverance. Such a great salvation, such a deliverance. Deliverance from what? Deliverance from sin. Deliverance from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. Deliverance from the ongoing continual practice of it and domination of your life. Deliverance one day from the very presence of it in heaven. Won't that be wonderful? Deliverance from the prince of sin and his kingdom, Satan. Deliverance from that darkness and brought into the light. Deliverance from being a child of wrath and eternal doom to being a child of God's grace and eternal inheritance with the king himself, a child of the king and a brother of the prince. Wow, that's a deliverance, right? And guess what he says about this deliverance? It's so great. Why is it so great? Number one, this deliverance was declared by the Son. Do you see that? How shall we neglect, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Son. Jesus came declaring what? He came declaring the gospel. Do you understand what Jesus was? Jesus was a gospel preacher. Look it up. The first thing Jesus ever said was repent. Repent from your sin. Turn from your sin and believe the gospel. And he said, I am the gospel. I have come to set at liberty the captive. I have come to those who have sat in the darkness that the light might dawn upon them. I have come to those who are enslaved by the power of Satan that they might know the freedom of God. 
I have come to set captives free. I have come to give a future and a hope for all eternity. It's good news. Folks, listen. Some, listen. The gospel's good news. Don't make the gospel bad news. I've heard people talk about the gospel and their face doesn't agree with what they're saying. I'm like saying, how can you be talking about the gospel and doing it like this? I mean, I just don't see Jesus doing that. I just don't see Jesus standing in the synagogue saying, I have come to set the captives free. I am here to claim the year of the Lord. That is weird. And some of us need somebody to tell us, I hear your message, but your face is weird. <laughs> Don't talk like that. Speak hope. Speak uplifting words. It's the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. That the God of heaven has intervened for dead and doomed sinners and will save them by His grace and make them children forever. That's good news. And get the good news in your heart so that you can export it to a world that needs it. This world does not need our anger and our antagonism and all the things that frustrate us on this earth. Of course we're frustrated. This world stinks. This world has gone straight to the devil, but it's cycling toward Jesus Christ. And we have a message to save people. Why would they want to hear us if we're just as angry as they are? I need to work on my face, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking. Folks, it's good news. It's good news. Jesus spoke good news. It was confirmed by the saints. The people, his eyewitnesses, says it, that they confirmed it. They told me. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but you know what? He was a second-generation Christian, or she was a second-generation Christian. Have you thought about that? One of those early Christians told somebody about Jesus, and that somebody wrote a book of the Bible. Now, God's not still leading people to write the Bible, but I want to tell you the principle you never know what God will do with your witness. Your witness can change the world. You don't know. It's the power of God. Somebody told him or her, and now him or her has been telling us for 2,000 years. And it was authenticated by the Holy Spirit. Isn't this amazing? authenticated by the Holy Spirit. It was attested to us while the Holy Spirit bore signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This means that while the early Christians, they were sharing the message, those apostles especially were sharing the message with Jesus, God the Holy Spirit was witnessing to their words with powerful miracles, signs and wonders. as he wanted them to be assigned. Now, here's what people say today. They say, well, you know, we don't have signs and wonders today. They did, that's, that's all done with and gone. And I do believe that as you read the Scriptures, there's times when in the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of apostles, 
as this was confirming the word, there were special signs and miracles given. But folks, can I just say this? Don't put God in a box that he hasn't put himself in. The only box that you can put God in is the box of how he has revealed himself in his word. He will not deny his word. He will not deny himself. But anything that's not outside of scripture, do not immediately say, God's not in that. God's not in that. I have seen the Lord do some amazing things. I mean, literally, amazing things. And I'm sure you could testify as well. I've seen him and know him to do things way out of my box, but not out of his book. Okay? But now, here's what I want to say to you. Some people think, oh, if God would just heal a blind man, people would get saved. If if somebody would just have a lame arm healed, somebody would get saved. If someone would just be raised from the dead, someone would get saved. And I want to tell you, the greatest miracle the Holy Spirit ever does is raising people from the dead. People who are dead in their sin, who are dead to God, and He makes them alive in Jesus, and they are so transformed, it's like they've been, well, born again. (laughs) Right? Is that a miracle? All right, so what's the miracle of all miracles? A transformed life by Jesus Christ. That's what he does every day. Now that is the most awesome triumph, but now, very quickly, here's the most awful tragedy. The most awful tragedy. And as we prepare to come to the communion, I'm going to ask you to listen very carefully. Dial in. This is the most awful tragedy. It is a neglect of Jesus and his word from which there is no escape. A neglect which leads to no escape. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape? And the answer inferred is we won't. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that has been declared by the Son, confirmed by the saints, authenticated by the Spirit? If that will not grip us, if the message of Jesus, the Son Himself, attested by the apostles, authenticated by the Spirit of God, if that will not hold you and you neglect that, then there's nothing else but destruction. To go back is to go back to destruction. Because all that was before was in preparation for Him who is the Son, who is the God who speaks, who is the only truth, who has been attested by His apostles and has been authenticated in word and deed and spirit by the Holy Spirit. If you neglect that, there is no hope. 
There is no other way of salvation. There is no other way forward. Folks, he is speaking here to people who have professed faith in Jesus. They have professed faith in Jesus. But they are on the verge of cutting themselves free from the gospel of Christ, him alone, attested by the apostles, authenticated by the Holy Spirit, and to go back to a way that's more comfortable to them. And the writer says, I warn you, you will not escape utter and eternal destruction if you do that. Here's what we have to understand. Make it personal, my friends. Here's what the author is saying. It's all about Jesus. If you are not attentive to the word, you're not attentive to Jesus. If you're drifting from the word of God, you're drifting from Jesus. If you are neglecting the word, you're neglecting Jesus because that is the whole point of the word of God is the God who speaks Jesus. Do not let yourself being deceived this way. It is disaster to your soul to think this way. Well, I'm not really into the Word, but I'm into Jesus. I'm really not serious about the Word, but I love Jesus. Oh yeah, I don't come listen to His Word very often. It's not really a rhythm of my life, but I'm really into Jesus, and Jesus, He gets that. Jesus doesn't get that. You say, how do you know, Sam? Because he told me. You say, you talked to Jesus? Oh, I sure did, don't you? He talked to me about it. He did? Yes. Here's what Jesus said about that thinking. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You stop this oxymoron of foolishness. Don't call me Lord. And do not do the things I say. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. How many of you love John 3? No, Nicodemus? God so loved the world. Don't you love that? 316? Hey, how about 336? Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God is abiding on him. Jesus connected believing and obeying. None of us obey perfectly. But people who do not obey Jesus don't believe in Jesus. Faith without works is dead. Jesus said, those who believe in me have eternal life, but those who do not obey me do not have life, and the wrath is still on them. The author of Hebrews put it this way, Hebrews 5:24 He has become he has become the author of eternal life to those who obey him. What does that mean? Does that mean you obey Jesus and then you get saved? Absolutely not. It means if you have been saved, if you have come to Jesus and you truly are trusting in Jesus, then that desire from Jesus and his spirit to obey is there. 
My friends, listen. The table of the Lord is a table of celebration and it's a table of examination. The Bible says when you come to the table of the Lord to examine yourself whether you be in the faith. To make your calling and your election sure. How do you do that? Am I, by practice, not perfectly, but am I in the practice of my life devoted to following Jesus and His Word? We can all drift. We can all get away. I don't presume to know anybody's heart. But the way we examine ourselves, whether we are truly a follower of Jesus, is not to look back at an event that happened in your life. Not to remember a spiritual mile marker, but do you see in your life the pattern of devoted following of Jesus and His Word? That is where we're to examine ourselves. And you say, well, Pastor Sam, what if that's not there? What, what if I just, what, I'm concerned. What do I do? Let me tell you what to do. Praise God that you're concerned. That's the work of God. Praise God. You're concerned about it. Praise God. That's His Holy Spirit. And if you're concerned about it, now let me tell you what to do. Look to Jesus. Call out to Jesus. He is the author and the completer of faith. Where is your faith going to come from? Not from my sermons, I'll guarantee you that. Your faith's not going to come looking within. I've never found any encouragement in my old dark heart. I find faith when I look at Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me and he has graced me and bringing me to salvation, my only hope is Him. That is my assurance. Look to Jesus. Will you look to Him? Look to Him. Call upon Him. No one has ever in sincerity called upon Jesus and Jesus sent them away. While even the dying thief a few minutes from eternity and a life listed, wasted in hell-raising. When he called out to Jesus, was accepted. But friend, do not tempt God thinking you'll have that moment. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time. Don't boast of tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, don't you harden your heart. Today, if you'll call upon him, you will be saved. That's the promise. Will you? Will you?